You're listening to The Driven, the podcast that gives you the news and the views, the ins and the outs on electric vehicles. The Driven is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy and The Driven websites. And it's brought to you by Ion Blue, providing 100% renewable carbon neutral energy for your electric vehicle. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of The Driven Podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the founder and editor of The Driven and also its associated websites, Renew Economy and One Step Off The Grid. One of the most interesting things about the transition to electric vehicles is going to be the role of the big motoring groups in Australia who um, have millions of members across the country and how they position themselves um, in this transition and the investments they've made. Uh, We've already seen many of the motoring groups getting together to have an investment in charging networks and rolling out their own individual networks within their sort of respective states. And more recently, we've seen the full takeover by um, the collective of motoring groups of ChargeFox. Joining me today is NRMA Chief Executive Rowan Lund. Um, Thanks for joining the podcast, Rowan. Thank you, Giles. So explain the rationale. You had a minority stake between the sort of this collective grouping of motoring groups and you've now decided to go out and buy full control. Um, What's the rationale behind that? Uh, We look at the ChargeFox asset. It's a terrific business. The team there have done a great job with what they've created. But it's got three, you know, three very different parts to it. It's got some relationships with the car manufacturers. Um, It's got a hosting network across the country and it's also, you know, 22 um, rapid fast charge. So some infrastructure as well. And, you know, just as how the clubs are thinking about our relationships with the car manufacturers, how we're going to have the right network across the country from a hosted point of view, but also particularly from NRMA's perspective, as we're rolling out infrastructure, there were some, you know, some great capabilities and the start of some really interesting things with ChargeFox. So taking 100% just lets the clubs put that into action, I guess, with where, where the strategies were. And I understand that the initial target is to actually double the number of um, EV charging stations around the country. That's right. I. You know, I, I think even even with that number, we're still talking about a, a tiny fraction of what's going to be needed. But it's, it's you know, ChargeFox, I think today has the largest network in terms of number of sites. But, you know, I there's a long way to go in terms of what it would need to actually meet the needs of the number of drivers in about 10 years' time. Well, that's right. So that sort of doubling, I think, is by 2025. So that sounds like yeah. an interim target. And so you'll be going well beyond that in, in, in well subsequent beyond years. That. Yeah. 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 How are you sort of dovetailing the ChargeFox network with the own the, your own network that you've rolled out? Um, they're not sort of ultra-fast chargers. They're sort of what's called fast chargers, and the difference being, say, 50 kilowatt maximum as opposed to the 350 kilowatt maximum that you can get in the ultra-fast charging ones. So how do you sort of separate the two? Yeah, so across the NRMA network, we, we've got a mix of 50 and 75s. Um, we've got plans at the moment across highways, moving that to, you know, moving right through to ultra rapid at 350. 
And so our we, we've had a plan that we would have across all highways across Australia and regional centres. And so with that infrastructure, some of the charge fox infrastructure will add to that. And we will, um, but certainly working with the charge fox network, that's, a, you know, the network management features there help us with that as well. So does that mean that the existing NRMA network, um, most of which are free at the moment, will be sort of subsumed into the ChargeFox one or will there be, still be two distinct entities? Well, they'll be distinct entities because, uh, you know, I look at the ChargeFox. ChargeFox is a network management layer across that. But then there's a, there's an infrastructure aspect to this as well. So, you know, going back to the ChargeFox assets, a lot of those are hosted. Um, there are other people's sites. But... What's missing in this country is, you know, a, a backbone of a, a fast charge network that covers all highways, covers all towns. And, and that's probably the piece that I'm focused on, on the infrastructure side. I mean, and I know this, you know, it may sound a bit confusing, but on the ChargeFox piece, you, you know, that's more the management layer there to make sure for the, the car manufacturers and the consumers that it's all talking to each other. Mm. So just on the uh, NRMA network, I mean, it's been a fantastic facility um, spread, um, you know, r right across the country. It's been free um, up till now. How long is that going to stay in place and w w when are you expecting it to change? And what sort of arrangements will there be in place um, once you do transition from sort of um, open free charging um, to, to paid charging? Yeah, well, we will definitely... Um make it very compelling for members. Ultimately, the plan there is if you're an NRMA member, whether that's free or whether that's at a, at a, at a small cost, that's something that we will um, we'll always maintain for members. What we will do is for non-members, we'll start to introduce price um, charging some, sometime within the next year. Okay. And one of the issues I think with the network at the moment has been that often you get to um, charging sites and there might only be one or two. I think people are quite frank, thankful when there's two, but there's often single charging spots inside. So you're looking to sort of double or treble those, the, the number that, of actual charging spots? Yeah, that's right, Giles. I, I think in, initially, and all of this has to be stepped because, you know, you start with a start with an environment where no one has an EV. So some of these some of these sites were, you know, fairly low utilization in the first years. We started building these five years ago. But the plan was start with one, start with two, make sure we have the location that we wanted. But then as that rolls out, you know, we plan to upgrade from fifty will gradually over time increase the speed at the sites, but also the number of the number that's there as well. Right, yeah. But that's that's you know how you get the economic model to work in a in an environment where it's it's moving much slower than one would have hoped. <laughs> I've certainly uh, shifted um, the, um, the the coffee buying patterns um, uh, of my daily routine um, ever since the sort of the charges went into a certain place up near where I am in, in northern New South Wales at the farm. Um, mm. Have you sort of found that um, the, the the hosts have been very glad to have it and have increased their business? I'm not too sure how many of your charges actually sort of hosted on sort of private property with private businesses or adjacent to or, or what are some of the other learnings that you've gotten from your network so far yeah definitely it, what we saw was you know i would describe it as community-led when we started out we you go out you spend a lot of time with local businesses local council and try and identify the site 
And where's the most enthusiasm? And sometimes that's commercial operators who, you know, they had good foresight and saw that it would be helpful for their businesses. You know, there's some sites we've got down in Jindabyne. I know, you know, the they've welcomed because it's brought them a different clientele. It's brought them, you know, people who are going out of their way to where the sites are. So, yeah, it's brought new business. Um, that will definitely be a feature in the future as people looking at the the network design, you know, it's the same approach that you've seen with fuel. It's It will bring a traffic flow, but it'll also bring people who've got a little bit of time to spend. That means money to spend. <laughs> will you do like a, um, a a cafe test or a food testing thing just to make sure that you've got the right location? Yeah, no, I, I, think, I think we'll see those models emerging. I think we'll see, and it's interesting watching across Europe in particular at the moment, there's a whole series of different options where some of we're seeing vending machines as simple yeah. as that, but others we're seeing cafe environments emerge. So it's it's just, um, I think everyone's still learning at the moment. We haven't seen all the models prove themselves out. So how's this sort of thing going to look in the future? Because we've just seen the first um, charging station at an existing petrol retailer um, open in Sydney this week. Um, how do you sort of see, do you, I mean, this is, this is an unusual business for you to sort of go in competition for the distribution of fuel or, or I mean, in this case, it's electrons. Um, do you sort of see yourself, um, uh, how do you see that sort of competition with the, those existing retailers? Oh, it's ironic for us because, you know, NRMA was behind starting, starting Ampol back when there wasn't fuel distribution across regional Australia. So it was, no, if we look at it, now i think um <laughs> i think what you'll see emerge is in the regional areas you're going to need rapid fast charge along highways it's going to need to be convenient towns will need their sites we'll have lots of you know hopefully we'll have a a much bigger number of slower charges which become more prevalent everywhere but in the urban environments you're going to need you know much bigger centers that have you know 8 10 12 charging sites and looking more like fuel stations and that's you know people will charge at home and and that's true and we'll see a good chunk of of the charging happening there but the reality is you've still got from couriers to uber drivers taxis there's there's a, a lot of the consumption on our roads is is coming from commercial operators that this charging at home you know that won't solve all of their needs so I definitely think we'll see that emerge. I think they'll both exist. I think it's hard for the fuel existing fuel sites to transition entirely to electric. It's a very different economic proposition for them. It's it's you know certainly not the same margins they were making before, and it means they'll have to remediate the sites they've got if they're going to be putting um, significant charges in there. So I think that'll be problematic. But we'll definitely see lots of models emerging. And again, it's interesting watching Europe, watching the US, because Australia is such a laggard here. At least there's the advantage that we get to watch a few others and see what's what's playing out in other places. Mm. Um, you mentioned home charging. Is the NRMA going to get involved in any way in either helping or maybe even providing products for sort of home charging for its members? Yeah, I, I think we will definitely, we're, we're looking at it at the moment as to how to best do that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly what role we'll play yet. I, I know we want to be there to hold members' hands to help them with the right choices to make, and 
if that means we're doing it or if that means we're helping them with the right choices, it's I'm not sure of where we end up. But the reality is, you know, 80, 90% of all their charging will take place at home. So there'll need to be solutions for them. Yeah. One of the issues with some of the fast charging networks, and I think it's probably true of, um, of all the different networks, is some of the maintenance issues at the moment. I think there's a bit of frustration out there from people yeah. turning yeah. up with the fast chargers and finding they've um, not working. Um, it seems to be bit more fundamental than having things down for a day or two. We've seen um, some charges out of action for three, four, five, or even six months. Um, some of these are branded under your name. Some of them are branded under the um, charging network that you've just bought full control yeah. of. Yeah. What's the issue here and how are you addressing it? Yeah, so you, you've got a couple of factors happening. One, one is there's some supply chain problems for some of the manufacturers you know, in terms of how they're able to fix fix the charges and getting parts out. They've got their own challenges at the moment and that's causing delays. You've also got a, a monitoring gap. And one of the things that we wanted to do with ChargeFox and getting our arms around ChargeFox was to really look at the, the monitoring and then maintenance of the network because, you know, ultimately from NRMA's perspective, you confidence and assurance in the fact that you'll be able to get the charging you need wherever you are that'll be our you know that's our, our key proposition we're focused on so that's going to need some investment and that's that's a big priority at the moment i think it one of the the difficulties is when you've got such low utilization you can go for periods where you're just not aware and but that's that's just not something you can have for people who are driving long distances. They need to have that confidence. So it's something that needs to be fixed. Yeah. The um, You talked about um, business models and you talked about business models for retail um, petrol retailers and things like that. To what extent is the switch to electric going to have to change, going to cause the motoring clubs to change their own business models? Yeah, I... Um... I think historically, motoring clubs around the world had been quite terrified of the electric transition. And that's because, you know, they've relied on the fact mechanical repair is, is a key part of their businesses and electric cars don't have mechanical parts. But I think, you know, that's changed in recent years. The I think as auto clubs have become more mature and understanding that they're really there just to serve their members, and there's an inevitability that members will be driving electric cars. So it's changed the thinking within a lot of the clubs and and changed the approach where, you know, this is a huge transition. This is this is as big as the transition from horse and cart back when the clubs first emerged. That's that's when auto clubs started around the world was a hundred years ago. And you went over a decade, everyone changed to cars. And I, I think with this transition you know, there's a multitude of services. Charging is one, but there's a multitude of things that people are going to need help with that transition. And and in the next decade, people are going to have a lot of questions. There's there's a lot of confusion, and and there's um, you know, and that's that's why the clubs were born. That's that's why they were there. So I think they've got a big role to play. 
And you sort of, that's interesting what you just sort of say about education too. I mean, because I mean, largely the Auto Club is very much sort of, you know, providing information, you know, through your magazines and, um, yeah. and, and other things. And, and that's going to be the key question. What's your sense from your members about how quick they want to actually switch to, to electric vehicles? I mean, I guess for most of them, it's probably a question of actually having the choice and the, and the right price. And in Australia, as yet, we don't have that. But what's your sense out there for the, for the enthusiasm? Oh, for the switch? It's changing rapidly. If you look, you know, five years ago, I was advocating and jumping up and down and getting cranky with government that it wasn't moving fast enough. And I had plenty of angry letters from members saying, why are you talking about electric cars? This is ridiculous. Um, five years on, I, we really don't see that anymore. What we see is a, a lot of confusion and a lot of misinformation where members are asking us what we think. And... I think the the fear they have at the moment is obviously range anxiety has been has been around, but there's just not enough charging infrastructure, um, particularly for regional remote areas in Australia and across highways. There's, I think, supply is a monstrous issue. You know, it's we're excited to talk about EV, but the reality is you can't get your hands on one. And you know, NRMA we own. We own, you know, a big car rental business with Sixth and, you know, we're constantly fighting to try and get more supply into Australia. And it's not surprising that Australia gets deprioritised at the moment versus other markets because we've made it so hard for people to bring EVs here. But trying to get the cars here, that's a real challenge and members want to talk about that and they want to understand why they're so much more expensive in Australia than what they are in other markets. Mm. Can you provide an answer to that question? And, and, and why has it been so hard to get cars here? Yeah, well, it's Australia, you know, we're, we're a very small fish in a big pond and, you know, we're subject to what's happening in other markets. And in other markets, they've provided big incentives for EVs and they've, they've put in fuel emission standards that have driven certain behaviours. And our silence on those topics has meant that in many ways, there's a disincentive to bring EVs here because, you know, they just don't have the incentives that you have in every other country. So that's a that's a factor. It's it's certainly that's probably the biggest factor. And it's Australia doesn't appear ready for drivers, but it's changing quickly. But the problem is, as the appetite for EVs has emerged rapidly in Australia, is the same time that you've got global car shortages and that's um you know so that's going to fuel huge 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 demand you know with supply low we're seeing people take advantage of that putting higher margins through on the vehicles yeah so it's it's not an ideal time no no and so what sort of policy things um, or policy measures do you think can help break that sort of um, that sort of nexus at the moment I mean, you mentioned vehicle emission standards are you a supporter of that would you like to see, see that yeah I, I am I am a believer in that and and that's because you know you can run different economic arguments about not intervening but when every other country has already intervened you don't have that choice so I think Australia should be we should have comparative regimes to what we see in other countries and that will make us competitive. And mm. I think it's, um, you know, and I, I think we should be looking at each of those pieces in the supply chain and what role Australia can play as well for some of the parts and getting vehicles here. I, I think there's a big conversation about China 
because you don't see many Chinese vehicles in Australia at the moment, but there's a f the manufacturer of EVs in China dwarfs the rest of the world. And there's a, there's a huge conversation to be had about how we start opening that up for lower pro price point. But, you know, is the quality right for this market? Yeah. Will the battery, the battery quality be enough for this market? And so they're, they're big conversations to be had. Yeah. And what's your assessment of that? I mean, should we be bringing in lower price vehicles from China? I mean, have you, have you, have you done any sort yeah, of... Yeah, I, I think we should, we should always be making sure people have the choice. Yeah. And if, if, that's, if people choose to do that and that's what consumers in Australia want, then we shouldn't be putting restrictions. If we're worried about safety or quality, then you know, people should be educated and you should make sure that the right standards are in place. But at the moment where that's not really the conversation. Well, I don't think there's enough of a conversation about, you know, we, we all, we're all talking about Teslas, but, you know, the Neo is an impressive car. Mm. And there's some, you know, I think it was described to me that there's 300 auto brands currently in China that are all EV. <laughs> and, you know, so, that's just not a, com that's just not something anyone's talking about here at the moment. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Um, yeah. and, and of course, the, 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 the Tesla cars we're seeing on the road now, the Model 3s and the Model Ys, which are going to land very soon, um, they're all made in China as well. They are made in China. So it's, it's an interesting question around why we then, because, you know, we're going to have to solve supply. If we don't start solving supply soon, we're going to have some major, mm. you know, productivity issues and, and um, you know, there'll be other economic implications here. So we're going to need... We're going to need to find a way to get more EVs into the country. Should we because, be making... You know, I go back to the comment I made about our members. It has changed dramatically the mood. The, the current mood is, well, I'm really interested in getting one. How would I do that? Because I went and spoke to someone and I'm told it's a 12-month delay. Yeah, exactly. Should we be making EVs here? I, I think EVs introduces a, a different model because unlike... You know, we may not have had the scale for ICE vehicles to have manufacture, but the parts, bringing the parts together and being able to assemble the parts is, that's that's a different model. So I think I think there's a role to play for Australia. And I think you're seeing seeing some people trialling that in, in light commercial vehicles at the moment. Mm. You mentioned before the uh, vehicle emissions tax, and um, I just remember when it was floated a couple of years ago um, by the then coalition government, very sort of briefly, and it got a carbon tax on wheels headline in the local tabloids. Uh, yeah. Are we prepared to deal with that sort of debate now? I, I think that debate is changing in terms of how everyone perceives it. I, I think EVs has been the victim of you know quite a politicised debate for a long time, but if we strip all that away, I think everyone realises that there's an inevitability about EVs coming. It's now just what's setting up the right regimes to make sure they, you know, it's price competitive for people. Yeah. And I, I just think the conversation's got to move from is it climate and climate naysayers versus actually this is commercial realities. Let's, you know, let's just make sure people have choice and we, we give them, you know, we're, we're meeting supply and demand. The ACT this week um, 
uh, announced a, um, I think it's the Australia's first sort of, you know, um, target of um, no new petrol and diesel cars by 2035. Um, they actually said, look, it might be Australia leading, but it's certainly not world leading because many European countries, I think Norway's going to stop by 2025, others are 2030, um, many are yeah. 2035 anyway. Should Australia be following that example? I, um, I made the comment, I think it was five or six years ago publicly, and it which was if Australia doesn't put in a deadline, we become a dumping ground for petrol diesel cars. And and the reason I said that was because you end up with an environment where in every other country, if they're doing it, they're putting the incentives in place. And if we don't, then it's inevitable that the manufacturers see us as the market to start moving those vehicles. And you're not able to get you know, front of the queue in terms of EV. So I, you know, normally I'd prefer not to see intervention of that kind, but I, I don't know how, I don't know how we avoid those issues come 2030, 2035, if we're the only country that's not. Mm. So I, you know, I'm, I'm a believer that we probably need to be more aggressive at the moment in our policies just to be competitive. Mm. What kind of car are you driving at the moment? Well, at the moment, so I have six children, so I'm driving a people mover <laughs> at the <laughs> and, moment. And that's not, that's not electric but yet, is it? <laughs> it's not electric yet. And um, when it is, yeah, but no, I have, um, but we, um, no, I've had, I've, I'd leased an EV and had an EV for a, for a while just so I, you know, could understand the vehicle and do that on the side. And that was the, the smaller Tesla. And it takes a bit of getting used to. And and it's something actually we, we ended up introducing at NRMA. We've got what we're calling a drive drive days that we're doing across the country and the first one's this weekend. But it's just to let people come and come and drive one if you haven't driven one before because, you know, and understanding things like regenerative braking or understanding they feel very different as a vehicle to drive. And, and there's good things and there's things to get used to. So, no, I'm... Big advocate for the fact that um, you know we've we've got them for our staff to use, and we and across the sixth fleet, we're you know we're um, certainly making sure that a a large proportion of that fleet's electric, just because we know people need to get behind the wheel and they need to understand these cars. <laughs> because this is what we'll all be driving in 10, 20 years' time. Yeah. I mean, you talked about things that you liked and things that you didn't like. Um, can you just sort of maybe just rattle off a couple of them? I mean, yeah. It's interesting, I, what, it's I, interesting I, what you I said about re regenerative braking. I, I took my um, my daughter's boyfriend um, out for a drive, um, um, oh, it must have been a month or so ago now in, in an EV, and he did not like it at all. I said, look, give it 20 minutes and it'll be okay. You'll actually really, really enjoy that sort of one-pedal driving. But um, initially, it's a bit of a shock. And, and that's how I was. I, you know, I first time, you know, it's exciting and there's lots of great features, but no, the braking, the one pedal driving, you know, I, I, it probably made me aware that, that I like to, I like to take my foot off the accelerator and coast when I'm driving. And then all of a sudden the car stops and it's, it's just trying <laughs> to, trying to remind yourself, actually, I've got to keep that pressure on the accelerator as I'm driving. And it's, it's just a habit. But then once you get used to it, it's it's perfect, and you realise, geez, that's easy. I'm not having to move the foot around. But it's a um, it, it's small features like that that you you know I think people need to get used to, and 
and it just takes time. It, it For me, it just took a couple of days and I was suddenly thinking it's better. But no, the first time I drove it, I was like, oh, I don't like this. Mm. Yeah, so what's the, what's, what's the NRMA roadside assistance um, crew going to look like in, say, 10 years' time? With, I mean, look, it's actually going to take a long time before the last of the fossil fuel yeah, cars have yeah, actually yeah. left the road. Yeah, so they'll yeah, be it'll, it'll take... <laughs> <laughs> and that's the irony is we'll, we'll probably see a much older fleet on the road with a lot more issues. So it'll be keeping us busy for a very long time. <laughs> let's, but, let, let's leap into the future now. There are no fossil yeah, fuel cars yeah, left but, on the road. What are they going to be doing? Just running around with charging packs? Yeah, yeah no, but we're, we're, we're already trialling and looking at mobile chargers so that the vans will actually be able, you know, and that's, that's no change from the model that we have where we top people up with fuel, but we'll be able to give people a charge if, if they find themselves flat. Um, the reality is, you know, with cars, with roadside jobs, you know, they're, Mechanical issues have been dropping for a long time, but what hasn't is people issues. We still lock our keys in the car. We still get flat tyres. We still, you know, there's a whole lot of issues and problems. They'll remain. We're going to see a lot more auto-electric issues mm. with the cars, um, a lot more battery issues generally, mm. and we're going to need to see a lot more towing because when there's a problem with the cars, it's going to be harder to get them fixed immediately on the side of the road. It's... You know, our, we've got some pretty amazing car whisperers in the group that, you know, can find problems that other mechanics can't find and can get it fixed instantly. But some of these cars are going to have to be taken away for a, a little bit of a closer look. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. No, I, I think there's some changes that need to happen. and But we've been doing that gradually, you know, getting the guys trained and understanding, getting them working on EVs so that they know you know, they know what the problems will be and how they're able to fix them. Yeah, not so much fiddling under the bonnet as uh, sending the car no, text message. Just yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you'll still get flat batteries. You'll still get flat batteries, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you said um, you've got six children and you, look, you, you drive a people mover. Is there any electric people movers on the on the market that you've seen overseas? Yeah, there are some coming, but, and this is, again, my frustration is, I can see them in most other markets, but Australia is just, it's a constant weight here at the moment because we're not a priority market, but they're starting to emerge. And, you know, I, I think the European manufacturers, that's, they're moving quickly and we'll, we'll see Korea and Japan moving a little bit faster in the next one to two years. They've got a good roadmap of cars coming. So is the US, more announcements with Ford this morning. So it's, yeah, I think it has shifted everywhere and we'll see a lot more brands that we've never seen before coming out of China and India. So there'll be plenty more choices and hopefully a bit cheaper than what they currently are. Well, let's hope so too, yeah, because there's still not an electric car in Australia um, under 50,000, although that may change, um, or there has been the MG, but... Um... Yeah, the, with the MG. And, and I think they, they need to get, you know, those battery issues... This is what we'll see with EVs over the next period, that their second, third, fourth generations of these cars will get better and better. And, you know, and I think that's an advantage Tesla's got at the moment is, you know, they're, they're good cars, mm. you know, but they've been around for a little while now, so they've got a bit more maturity. Mm. Well, let's hope that Australia can catch up. Um, Rowan Lund, thank you very much for joining the Driven podcast and uh, look forward to hearing more about... Um, NRMA's plans, both for its own charging network, the um, the ChargeFox charging network, and, uh, and and also some of the uh, some of the initiatives that you've been taking with your own members. 
Perfect. Thanks, Charles. Appreciate it. The Driven Podcast was brought to you by Ion Blue. Ion Blue provides 100% renewable, carbon-neutral energy for your electric vehicle. Many EVs are responsible for significant carbon emissions because Australia's grid is predominantly fossil fuel powered. But for as little as $6 a month, you can clean up your EV. Find out how. Go to ionblue.com.au.